Do you remember uh, when pirates made it to the front page headlines a few years back? Uh, In my mind, I thought that pirates were a thing of the past. I thought they only existed in cartoons and in make-believe movies, but I found out that pirates are for real um, when Somalian pirates started preying on freight ships uh, along the, uh, the, the coast of the Indian Ocean and found out that, yes, they do pose a very serious threat. Uh, back in 2009, Captain Richard Phillips uh, was, was taken captive and hostage by a band of pirates, and it turned into a five-day standoff between five pirates and the world's most powerful military. Uh, they actually made a movie about it. You might have seen it. Um, uh, what was it called? Uh, Captain, Captain Roberts, right? Captain Phillips. Um, Tom Hanks starred in that. And the whole incident came to a head on an Easter Sunday morning when the, new, the, the United States Navy SEAL team um, saw that the captain was in imminent danger. And he was tied up, that he had an AK-47 rifle pointed at his back. And so they engaged the pirates. And in five minutes' time, the entire conflict was over. The captain was rescued. Four out of the five pirates had been killed. And the situation was stabilized. Uh, That story maybe just helps a little bit set the stage for the subject matter that we're going to look at this morning. Uh, We're going to talk about an enemy that we all have who's oftentimes assumed to not even exist. Uh, But in fact, he is very real, he is very dangerous, and he's also no match against the ultimate authority. We've been making our way through the Gospel of Mark. Um, The series is called The Journey. And by journey, it means we're on this journey of discovering who Jesus is, of of answering what I do believe to be the most important question in life is, who is Jesus? That's the reason why the the book of Mark was written down. And and in the passage this morning, uh, we are going to see Jesus as he sets out on a prison break, as he goes into this place to release one man's life from a very dark, demonic dungeon. Um, If you've been with us over the past several weeks since we started this series, you may have noticed that um, there's one character who just seems to always be showing up. Uh, Satan, believe it or not, keeps on showing up in the pages of Mark in some way, almost on every scene. He's almost always there. At the very start, Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness and then he's casting out demons, and then he's contending with these religious leaders who were accusing him of operating under satanic influence. Uh, It seems like the forces of darkness kind of went into overdrive when Jesus stepped onto the scene. And that's no surprise because Jesus and the arrival of him and his kingdom uh, meant the end of Satan and his reign of terror. And so... um, If you remember a couple of weeks back, if you were here in the passage we looked at, Jesus described what he was doing and who he was. Uh, He compared himself to the stronger man who tied up the strong man who was Satan. And after he tied him up and bound him, he was going to take back everything that the enemy had hijacked. In the passage we're looking at this morning, we are going to see that play out in real time. It's a redemption story. Turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to uh, Mark chapter 5. 
Um, as usual, we are going to have the, uh, the passage on the screen behind me, but I will just make a little plug is that um, these messages are best listened to with an open Bible in hand if you have one. And if you don't have a Bible, um, we do have Bibles available. You can just pick one up. They're free for the taking. They are at the welcome table. Ask a greeter for them, and we'd be happy uh, to put one in your hands. So Mark chapter 5, and this is an episode. It's a scene that, it, it honestly, it reads more like something you would find in a book like Tales from the Crypt, more than you would in the Bible. Uh, but be that as it may, it's here We're going to walk through it, and there are two very critical takeaways that are going to be found in this passage that are there for us to grab hold of. So it says this, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gennesaris. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, "'What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High? I adjure you by God.'" Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbered about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the nearby country. The people came to see what it was that had happened, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So that's the story. Uh, There's two takeaways that I want to unpack from this passage this morning. The first one is for us to grasp the reality of the adversary. The reality that you and I have a spiritual enemy whose agenda is to terrorize and torment our lives. He is literally hell-bent on your destruction. Uh, But there's a second point that's just as critical, and that is that Jesus holds absolute authority. He is in complete command over this adversary. And he came to rescue and to break people out from the enemy's clutches. Um, So... So as Jesus is making his way into this place called the Gerasenes, it's, it's his first step beyond the borders of Israel, beyond Jewish country into Gentile territory. 
And the moment they land, it becomes immediately clear that they are no longer in Kansas, right? Uh, Jesus is met by the most peculiar welcoming party you can imagine. A guy who's described like he came straight out of a nightmare. He's roam, he roams the mountains. He lives amongst the tombs. He has extraordinary strength. He's bloodied. He's scraped up. And he wails nonstop. It's kind of like the local freak show. But the problem is no one was able to stop him. No one could put an end to what he was doing. And the reason is because he's demonically oppressed. That's the explanation for his actions. But when Jesus encounters this man, it's important to point out that he doesn't just see some kind of enemy who needs to be defeated, right? What he sees is he sees a prisoner who needs to be set free. And I pray that we as God's people, that we have the eyes to see what Jesus sees, that we're able to distinguish between captives and captors because the way that you engage them is very different, right? Captors need to be captured, but captives need to be set free. Uh, In Ephesians 6.12, it reminds us that, that our struggle, it says, is not against flesh and blood, that it's against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. What, what that means is that your primary problem is not a person. It's not people. It's not physical. It's spiritual. The, the Bible teaches about the reality of the spiritual realm, uh, the reality of a spiritual enemy He's someone who goes by by several different names. Uh, Satan is one of them. That means adversary. Uh, The devil is another one. That means uh, slanderer. Uh, Lucifer is another one. That's uh, the son of the morning, which points out his deceitful and seductive ways. Uh, This is our enemy. And and he has a host of fallen angels that are known as demons who, who carry out his agenda. And his agenda, Jesus tells us in John 10.10, is to steal, to kill, and destroy. And that's exactly what's happening to the man that we meet in this passage. The oppression that he's under is so severe that that he's no longer even under control of his own life anymore, right? The, The spirits, these demonic spirits have taken over, and they were driving his life full throttle down a road of destruction, now, now, let me just stop and mention that uh, this wasn't written in some kind of dark ages. Uh, the, the Greco-Roman world, the, the New Testament world of the first century, it wasn't some kind of ignorant, uninformed culture, right? This was an age of advanced philosophy, of intellectual sophistication, and yet, here's the point, unlike our culture today, they didn't dismiss the reality of the spiritual And and by the way, most cultures around the world today, they don't dismiss it either. But here in America, we feel like we are so sophisticated. We're so advanced. Maybe we're so arrogant in what we think we can know that we tend to diminish and dismiss the spiritual. Uh, You know, there was a time when people dismissed bacteria and viruses because they couldn't see them. Uh, and, And today, think about it. We don't see electrical currents. We don't see natural gas. We don't see uh, carbon monoxide. We don't see sound waves. But still, we recognize that these are real. And and this 
unseen spiritual dimension is, is just as real. We can't see it, but we can see its effects. This guy's life is demonstrating physical, physical effects that trace back to a spiritual root issue. So here's what he's experiencing. He, number one, he's isolated. He's, he's living alone by himself up in the mountain tombs. Not a very pleasant place to call home. Um, he's also self-destructive. He's beaten. He's bloodied from cutting himself against these rocks. And he's crying out in despair. There's, there's no traces of peace in his life. He's just wailing nonstop, night and day. He, he's despondent. He has no hope that anything is ever going to change because it says everybody tried to put a stop to what he was doing, but no one was able to do it. Those are just some of the trademarks of your enemy's torment. The word that best describes this guy's situation would be bondage. Uh, he is in spiritual bondage. And, and maybe if we could just take a step back from the intensity of the imagery, I wonder how many of us, maybe we could relate just a little bit to that. You know, I, I speak to people who, who talk about being in, in a sense of bondage, like, like about these areas of their lives that you just can't seem to get a handle on, no matter how hard they try. Addictions, habits, fears, uncontrollable thoughts, areas that we've tried to break free from, but no matter how hard we try, we just can't seem to find our way out of them. Things like that can lead our lives to that same place of despondency. And, uh, you know, those who know me know that I am not one of those guys who just sees demons behind every rock, right? I know some people who do. It's not me. Um, there's people who say, well, if, if you can't find your wallet, there must be a spirit of confusion, and you've got to cast them out. Like, no, you just got to maybe just get a little more organized. Or, you know, someone says, you know, they're cranky. They must have a spirit of irritation. No, they probably just need a little more sleep. Go take a nap. It's good for your soul. Uh, we don't want to go to extremes like that. But we also, we don't want to swing too far in the opposite direction either, do we? Right? The, the tendency today, even as Christians, is, is to deal with personal issues uh, with, with resources like self-help books, uh, medical remedies, psychological counseling, prescription drugs. And, and all of these things can be helpful in their proper place, but we don't want to not fail. We don't want to fail to also add into the equation the possibility that along with all of that, there may be a spiritual issue that needs to get addressed. I, I believe oftentimes... These issues are very interconnected. They're intertwined. And there's gateways that open up the doors to the demonic. In Ephesians, it talks about the devil getting a foothold in our lives through sin. He, he tempts people with something that looks so good, something that looks fun and satisfying, until you bite into it and you see that it's, it's a trap, it's something way different. The, the devil works in deception by packing, packing up lies in bright, shiny, glossy wrapping paper that looks so good that you can't wait to dive in. It's kind of like the bait at the end of a fishing pole, right? The lure. And once that hook gets set into the mouth, you're stuck. 
and he starts reeling you in. That's the way the enemy works. And footholds over time can get turned into strongholds, and Satan uses those to wreck people's lives. You know, in the movies, uh, if you watch a lot of people find their information about the spiritual through, through movies, which is very unhelpful. Um, but uh, they typically pr- promote uh, demonic activity in very binary ways, that you're either possessed or you're not. And those are the twin realities. Uh, in Scripture, we see that there are levels of satanic or demonic influence. It starts off very subtly, and it progresses very slowly from, from opposition to influence, to oppression, to obsession, to invasion, to possession, and finally to death. And so there is a continuum. This guy that we meet in this passage, he's obviously at the very far end of the progression. The demonic influence was overt, but oftentimes the enemy chooses to work covertly under the radar screen in incremental steps that progressively lead people's lives down that same path. So the destination can be that same place, and we can wind up at a place of destruction. So here's the first take-home. You have an actual adversary. The first response is really simply just acknowledge that, to acknowledge it and not dismiss it. Can you imagine if as a country, if, if our military didn't take preventative measures against our enemies, against terrorists, because we couldn't see them, right? And we didn't acknowledge them because of that. Our enemies would have a field day with that, and there'd be no measuring the amount of devastation that would be done. So that's the first part. I want to move on to the second part, that not only does the thief come to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus also came that we might have life and have it to the full. And that's exactly how he acts. That's exactly what he does as the scene continues. He steps in, he stakes charge, takes charge, and, and, and he gives this guy his life back. That's, that's what he does. Let's, let's just look at the play-by-play. The first thing Jesus does is he issues this simple and straightforward command. He says, come out of this man, you evil spirit. And and that, it was not a request, it's, it's not a suggestion, it's an unconditional order from the highest authority. So the commander-in-chief of all of creation has spoken, and this demon has no choice but to step into line and obey. And in an instant, the tables have turned, right? The enemy goes from the terrorist to the terrified The demon responds and says, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high? Literally, his response is, what are you doing with me? What do you have to do with me? He's saying, leave me alone. Get out of my space. We have nothing in common here. And Jesus' response is basically saying that, no, I'm here now. This is my place, and this place is not big enough for the two of us. And now that I've arrived on the scene... You're going to have to go. And, and, and so just really quickly, one of the things that we need to understand as we contend against the enemy is that it is, it is not about us trying in our own strength to resist. It's about clinging to Jesus. It's about him, 
his power, his presence, and his authority. Unlike the Charlie Daniels song that said, the devil went down to Georgia and I beat him with a violin. Not the way it's going to go down. He's stronger than you are. Um, But at this point, the, the demon tries bargaining. He says, swear to God that you won't torture me. That's his request of Jesus. And, you know, in Matthew's account, the way Matthew's gospel tells the story, the demon also adds this. He says, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Do you know that there is an appointed time? There is a day on the calendar when Jesus is going to deal with Satan, with his demons in a full and final way. Jesus' arrival, when he came onto this earth and was born and started his ministry, that signaled their end. His death on the cross, that dealt the crippling blow. But the day is coming when he will put an end to this enemy once and for all, altogether. Revelations 20.10 gives us a little bit of a foretaste of what that's going to look like. It says this, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So, so what that means is that as, as we try to put together a strategy for contending against this adversary, there, there's a process that's playing out. Jesus' arrival when he came on this earth, his sacrificial death on the cross and his return Those are the three defining moments of the process. And you and I right now, we are living our lives out in this in-between time between the last two, between when Jesus died on the cross, was resurrected, and when he's coming again. Uh, We're living between the time between what is now and what one day will ultimately be. And that's crucial to understanding how to wrestle, how to fight, how to contend. We'll come back to that in just a moment, but let's get back to the story. Uh, Jesus interrogates the enemy. He asks him, what is your name? And he answers, my name is Legion, for we are many. Uh, Legion was a military term for a Roman regiment. It would consist of 5,400 foot soldiers and 120 horsemen. I don't think we're meant to take that literally, but I think the idea is that this guy's life was absolutely overrun with demonic oppression. Um, But now, before Jesus, they're reduced to begging. Please, they say, let us go into these pigs. And, And my thought is that Jesus allows them, he gives them permission for one reason, because he wants everyone who's watching to get a snapshot and see what their ultimate intentions were. They go into the pigs and they run over the cliff to the death. And and that is where this man's life was heading had Jesus not intervened. Uh, I don't know if you ever ever look forward to watching an event, a contest that seemed like it was going to be a big showdown, but then when it actually started, it turned into kind of a non-event, very anticlimactic. If you remember back in 2016 in the Olympics, uh, that happened with Michael Phelps when he was um, right before the 200-meter semifinal heat. So uh, Phelps was sitting there on the chair. He's got his hood over his head. He's got his headphones on. He's in the zone getting ready the way he usually does. 
And one of his rivals, a guy's name was Chad LaClosse, he positioned himself right in front of where Phelps was sitting. And do you remember what he started doing? He started shadow boxing and doing all kinds of intimidation tactics in front of Phelps to try to, to, try to get him out of his groove or something like that. Um, of course, the media, you know, the TV viewers, they, they went wild over this story. And it just led to this big anticipation until the moment the clock started and the, and the competition went down and it was clear that there was no contest at all. Phelps handily defeated his foe. The match was over before it ever began. And the truth is when it comes to this contest between Jesus and between Satan, there is none. That's what it comes down to. The simple reality is that it's over before it ever began. So yes, we have an enemy, and yes, we are in a spiritual battle right now, but the reality is there's no contest. It's already been won. Jesus won it when he went to the cross. And as Christ followers, we understand, we recognize, we we embrace this reality that his victory is ours to claim. In in Colossians 2, 13 and 15, it says this, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it all away, nailing it to the cross. That's the beautiful message of forgiveness. Then he says this in, in addition, he says, and having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, by the cross. That means that something happened at a spiritual realm level when when Jesus gave his life on the cross. The crippling blow was struck to Satan. And from that moment on, it's been game over. The atoning work of Christ on the cross strips Satan and his demons of all their power, all their authority. Satan wasn't just defeated, he was humiliated. Jesus makes this point. He says it was a public spectacle made of them. And what that means for us is that we fight from victory. We don't fight for victory. So let me, let me use an example. I'm going to you know, do that early Christmas um, illustration. I know everybody says, wait until Thanksgiving is over to start with the Christmas stuff. I'm going to start a little early with a great illustration from the Christmas classic, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. If you remember, uh, two of the characters, one was Yukon Cornelius. He was this wild gold digger who was always just looking for treasure. And his foe was the abominable snowman. You know, the abominable was like his nemesis. He was trying to hunt Yukon down and getting to him any way he could until this one day when Yukon and his gang dropped this giant ball of ice on the snow monster. And he's knocked out on the ground. And that's when Herbie the elf, remember, he's the elf who wanted to be a dentist. He goes to work on the snow monster's mouth and he just takes out all of his teeth extracts all of his teeth. And then from that point forward, Yukon is no longer afraid of the snow monster, right? He's, never, he's, not, he's not someone that he has to run away from in fear. He's still big, he's still bad, but he's no longer a threat because he's toothless. 
You see, when, when Jesus died on the cross, Satan lost his teeth. And he's got nothing left but scare tactics and intimidation. But for those who know that, knowledge is everything and we won't be fooled because Satan is a defeated foe. So yes, there's a battle to fight. But once again, I'll say we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. And this is, this is the reason Jesus came, to defeat this spiritual adversary who is stronger than we are, who's bigger than we are. He came to break us out from the prisons that we can't ever get out of on our own so we can live lives that are full and free and abundant. So let me, let me wrap up and just get very practical about this. There is no bondage that any of us can get ourselves in that's too big for Jesus to break us out of. That's the message of this story. I want to say that again because some of you, you may need to hear that this morning. There is no bondage any of us can ever get ourselves wrapped up in that Jesus isn't powerful enough to break us out of. He is the highest authority. He is the one who is in charge. And he came to set the captives free. And you may be in your life have given ground uh, over to the enemy and you are wrapped up in things that are destroying you, that are stealing away your joy and your peace. And you know that no matter how hard you try, you just can't get out. I want to say, stay close to Christ. When Jesus is leading your life, there is no such thing as a hopeless situation. Now, that doesn't mean that we just expect instant fixes, but there typically is some kind of decisive moment. And there's typically some kind of process of of, of three things, renouncing, repenting, and rededicating. Um, And so my counsel to you is to just pray and, and ask, Lord, are there any areas that I'm imprisoned by? Are there any strongholds? And, you know, we don't have to try to figure out in ourselves. The Holy Spirit, I found, is pretty good at pointing them out because he wants this for us if we ask him. And if you've given ground to the enemy, then, then, then ask, what lie did I believe that gave him that ground, that let that happen? Renounce that, repent of it, rededicate your life to the Lord And replace that lie with the truth of God's word. That's a very simple framework. It's the one that I've used to help walk people through this and and find freedom. And Jesus came to set us free. On the other side of freedom, there's a story to share. And, And Jesus is in the process of writing those stories, these redemption stories, in, in people's lives. And isn't it fascinating that after this happened, this guy is so eager to follow Jesus. He says, Jesus, I want to get back in this boat with you and stay with you. Jesus says, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to stay here. I want you to go back home. I want you to tell everybody around here how much the Lord has done for you, how he's had mercy on you. And, and this guy who, who started out as a freak show train wreck he turns into the first missionary as he just told this simple story of how Jesus changed his life. This is who I was. This is who I've become. And it's all because of Jesus and what he's done. 
It went from bondage to freedom, from lies to truth, from hurt to healing, from alone to connected, from painful to purpose, from wailing to worship, from condemnation to commendation, from out of control to under control. That's just one snapshot of the beautiful picture of the beautiful story that Jesus is in the process of writing then and now. Let's pray together.